0: following audio is for Emanuel Baptist Church more information about Emanuel is available at our website www.myemanuel.net there it is look at that Bible will you uh, that's not a stock photo taken off the internet uh, that's Bob Nolan's Bible uh, some of you know Bob uh, Bob was one of our elders he led our men's ministry Bob's in heaven now um, one of the things that I've kind of made it my habit to do over the years when I do a memorial service or a funeral is I often ask for the Bible of our loved one who's gone. And sometimes I can I can go through the Bible and find a favorite verse or a passage, and I, I often use that in the service. Apparently, Bob liked all the verses. But I, I wanted you to see that this morning because that's what your Bible should be. Your Bible really is, it really is the textbook for life. So take it and get it and write in it and get a pen and a highlighter and something that fits you and join us as we take notes here. Some of you, your Bible just, it's just covered in dust. And uh, some of you are like, well, I like the electronic part. All right, if you can take notes there, if you're, if you're good enough to take notes in it, do that. But you need something that you can keep. And you can use the sermon notes as well. Keep all those week after week and you'll, you'll build your own commentary of Hebrews. Well, here's where we started last week. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But verse 2 says, In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And last week's sermon is that Jesus is God. And and the writer of Hebrews gave us eight uh, proofs, uh, pieces of evidence, eight uh, uh, evidentiary processes that we could study that would prove that Jesus is God. And here they go. I'll, I'll enumerate them as we go. He's spoken to us by His Son. Whom he appeared, uh, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand. Of the Majesty on High. Now, if you're going to write in your Bible, why not just take in the margin and write next to each one of those: one, two, three, four, five. You, you'll have them right there, and you'll remember those the next time that you turn to God's Word. But if you'll notice, uh, we ended there last week, but that's not the end of the thought. It's it's not a period; it's a comma. The Scripture says, "He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on High." Now, verse four. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This morning, uh, I want us to talk just a little bit about angels. Because there is this propensity in the human nature to kind of elevate angels into something that they are not. In fact, there's even, I think, kind of a bent by many... To worship angels did you know that muhammad says that the koran was given to him by gabriel did you know that joseph smith says the book of mormon was given to him by an angel in fact if, if you'll study if you'll go all the way back and find the founder of almost any cult or false religion what they what they need is something that nobody can argue with and so they'll say oh this was revealed to me by an angel Yet the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, he's, or Galatians 1, he said, if, uh, if, if, this is, there's a dead spot right here, everybody. So I'm going to have to preach a little bit more to you on the left today, okay? This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, if we, or even an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you other than that which has been preached, let him be anathema. That means, it means literally, it's a strong word. It means accursed." with a curse. And yet, even though we tend to uh, worship angels and we shouldn't, remember in the revelation, John fell down to the angel and the angel said, get up, man. He said, don't worship me. We serve the same, we've served the same Lord. And so we, we need to know who they are and what they do. Uh, Your Bible has over 250 references to angels. Over 250 times it speaks of angels. In Genesis 6, it says an angel came to Hagar when she was in the wilderness and alone and afraid. In Genesis 19, two angels came and rescued Lot from Sodom. Angels spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and an angel confronted Balaam. Remember that story? Somehow God allowed the donkey to see the angel, but not Balaam. The scripture says an angel came to Gideon when he was in a wine press hiding for his life. An angel ministered to Elijah during the drought. An angel came to Zechariah when he was in the Holy of Holies and told him that he and Elizabeth in their old age would have a son. And they would name him John. He would be called John the Baptist. Angels ministered to the Lord after he had fasted for 40 days and been tempted. One rolled the stone away from the empty grave. In fact, he was sitting on it when the women came the next morning. The angels stood by during the Lord's ascension. And said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus will come again. Those were angels. One opened the jail door in the middle of the night and released Peter. And Peter went to a prayer meeting of unbelieving friends. They were praying that he would be released, but when he came to the door, they couldn't believe that he had been released. An angel accomplished that. An angel spoke to Cornelius the Gentile and told him to send for Peter at the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, the Revelation speaks of angels 70 times. So there is still yet coming a time, a, a dispensation of period in which God's angels are going to be incredibly active. And so uh, here we have this. We have some who uh, kind of believe the deceitful spirits of fallen angels, Lucifer and his fallen angels. You have others who have had angel-type experiences. We, we always think of angels as like having wings. But Isaiah 6 actually describes them with six wings. With two, they covered their feet, a, a sign of humility. With two, they covered their eyes because they, they were there in the presence of the glory of the Lord all day. And with two, they flew. And what did they say? All day long they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, remember, the writer is writing to Jews. That's why the book is called Hebrews. He's writing to Jews, and the Jews have a very high view of angels, something that they, they care about, something that they believe in. And so what happens to them in the, in the process of Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah is they wanted to believe in God, Jehovah God, and they, and they kind of wanted to, To believe in Jesus, but they didn't believe he was the Messiah, so they would have this tendency just to say, Well, he was an angel, or he might be like an archangel. In fact, there are cults today that say that Jesus is an archangel like Michael, and the truth of the matter is, the Bible's going to make this clear. We're going to read this passage, he's absolutely not an angel. He is God, he's completely God, and so we're going to read this passage that he is superior to angels here's how it goes let's begin in verse 4 right where we left off having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs and then we begin right here in verse 5 uh, if you have a bible that does some indentation or it does a bull print i want you to look through here you're going to see that there are seven old testament references here uh, why because he's writing to the Hebrews. Um, he quotes from Psalm 2, 2, Samuel 7, the 97th Psalm, the 104th Psalm, the 45th Psalm, the 102nd Psalm, the 110th Psalm, seven times before we get to chapter 2. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us a couple things. One, it tells us that God regards your Old Testament just as much Scripture as your New Testament. If you're, a, if you're a believer and you just go like, oh, the Old Testament's so dry and hate to read it and it's boring. I, I like New Testament, Pastor. You are never going to understand your New Testament unless you understand your Old Testament. One of the reasons that I picked, I felt the Lord led me to teach uh, Hebrews to you, is if you can get Hebrews, you can understand your Old Testament and your New Testament and how it is that they go together. God blends them perfectly they're, they're in the inspired word of god now think about this a new testament writer is going to make the case that jesus is superior to, to angels and he's not going to refer to the resurrection at all he's going to make his case for the jews for bible believing christians even today entirely out of the old testament what's his first what's his first piece of evidence well, he says in verse 5, which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you, or I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Or again, when he brought the firstborn uh, son into the world, he's talking about the incarnation of Christ that that moment in Bethlehem, he said, "Let all God's angels worship him." So, out of the Old Testament, Three quotes right away for the first point. Jesus is greater than angels because he's the worship of angels. There's no other angel. Not, not Gabriel, not Michael, certainly not Lucifer, even before he fell. No other angel akin to Jesus. The angels, like I told you in Isaiah, say of Jesus, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the object of their worship. He should be the object of our worship. If you calm and you struggle, uh, sometimes people tell me this. This may not be you, but sometimes people go, Pastor, I don't really like the music. You should should just preach the whole hour. You're missing the truth of the Word of God. Part of what we do here, part of what God intends for us to do, part of what's good for your soul is worship. Yeah, Bible study is good for your soul. You need that as well. That's why we break that in too. By the way, this is an ancient formula of worship You can find it all the way back in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Praise, read God's Word, respond to God's Word. This this comes right out of the Word of God. But worship should be a part of who we are. Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the object of their worship. And here we read that there was no other time that was more obvious than the moment that Jesus took on flesh, and he came into the world. Remember that series of times? An angel first appears to Zechariah in the Holy of Holies, and he says, you're going to have a son. He's going to name him John. That's going to be Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Then an angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. She says, how can I have a child? I've never been with a man. And he goes, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Then an angel appears to Joseph and says, don't worry about Mary being pregnant. That's not from another man. It's not because she's been unfaithful to you. This This is going to be the Son of God. In fact, from the rest of the Time you'll notice the angel appears to Joseph every time. The angel appears to Joseph and says, You need to leave Bethlehem and get to Egypt because Herod's going to kill all the kids there. The angel appears to Joseph again and says, It's safe to go back. And so we read all this through, but probably nothing more glorious. I mean, every Christmas, this is the part that we remember. And the shepherds were watching over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And they were very much afraid. And the angel said, Don't be afraid. I have for you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then suddenly there was a heavenly host of angels singing glory to God in the highest. This is what he's referring to right here, and it's prophesied in the Psalms, in the Old Testament. Let all God's angels worship him. Let me give you a second reason Jesus is greater than angels. In verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes His possessive angels wins, and his possessive ministers a flame of fire. Here's the second reason. Jesus is greater than angels because they belong to him. They are his possessions. Now, uh, this passage tells us something about angels in terms of their winds and flames of fire. See, angels don't have bodies like we have bodies. I I can't walk through this pulpit. I can't do it. Um, you can't go through a wall or just a pier. You can't go from the throne of heaven to earth uh, just like that. Uh, long before Gene Roddenberry had Captain Kirk say, Beam me up, Scotty. Angels could do that. So they're, they don't have bodies like ours. They, they move like this and like that. But they also are servants. They, they belong to the Lord Jesus and so they are his, and they are his possession. And so that makes him greater than them. He he sends them on his jobs. He, they do work for him. They serve him. They praise him. But they belong to him. He's not one of them. He's higher than them. There's a third thing here that I want you to see, beginning in verse 8. And, and verse 8 is one of those verses. It's probably one of the greatest uh, passages that speak to the divinity of Christ uh, as much as any passage in the Scripture. But of the Son, he's speaking of Jesus out of the Old Testament, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, now I want you to understand what's going on here. This is the Father speaking of the Son. How does the Heavenly Father speak of the Son of God? He says, your throne, O God. See, we, we, we tend to use the We tend to use the language in our everyday life. When we say God, we, we almost always mean the Father, right? We'll say, well, God, we mean the Father. And then about Jesus, we'll say Jesus. But the Father doesn't use that vocabulary. The Father calls Jesus God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness. You've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. With the oil of gladness, and here's the phrase that has to do with angels, beyond your companions, higher than all the others. When you read this in the Psalms, you might think, well, this is, all, this is just about David. But now the writer of Hebrews lets us know, no, it's not just the fact that David had an anointing beyond his brothers when Samuel came to the house and anointed him to be king. This is about a special anointing that is true of only God the Son. And in this, we understand that Jesus is greater than the angels because he has this highest anointing. Whenever you read anointing in the Bible, it's about someone who's king. It's about someone who's prophet. It's about someone who holds a unique and special position. And this is Jesus. Jesus holds a unique and special position. When you die one day and you stand before God, you're not going to stand before Jesus and, and Buddha and Muhammad or Joseph Smith. It's not a tribunal. It's not a tribunal. It's not a bunch of good people there. It's not some other people who were good prophets, and Jesus is one of them. You stand before Jesus and Jesus alone. The Scripture says that God's given all judgment to the hand of the Son. He doesn't share that. It's His and His alone. That's why there's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. He has this special, this highest anointing. But we read something else here in this passage. We read something about His kingdom. Look at it again in verse 8. Of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of our upra- of uprightness is the scepter of Your kingdom. Throne, kingdom, forever and ever. You loved righteousness. You hated wickedness. Therefore, God, Your God, has anointed You. That's the essence of a king. He's anointed with the oil of gladness beyond Your companions. Verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of Your hands. They will perish Notice here something else of his eternality. But you remain. They all wear out like a garment. Like the robe, you you roll them up like a garment. They'll be changed. But you are the same. And of your years, there will be no end. I was tempted here to stop and re-preach the fact that he was creator. We saw that back there last week when it says that uh, he was the heir of all things, through him he created the world. Here we see in verse 10, he laid the foundation of the earth. But but that's not the point of the verse. In the verse, we do find this stuff about the planet earth, the, the creation of the earth. But it's used in contrast to who Jesus is. And here's the contrast. The earth, in fact it says the heavens and the earth, will perish. Scripture says, that the earth will end. But Jesus will never end. Let's talk about this just a second because this is, this is a culture touch point. We live in a culture that is obsessed with trying to stop or delay the planet dying. They, they want you to be green. They want you to recycle. You, get, you can't just throw your plastic away. We've got to do it all. We've got to save the planet. We can't let the planet die. In fact, so much so that many in that environmental movement actually worship the creation and not the creator. I want you to listen very carefully. I just, I'm trying to say this very gently. I'm not trying to hurt feelings or I'm not trying to be political. I'm, I'm trying to make a very important biblical point. The earth is going to pass away planet's going to die. And you can't stop it. The scripture says that the heavens and the earth will pass away, but the word of God will last forever. Here in these passages that we just read, it says the earth is like a garment. It wears out. How many of you guys don't raise your hands to this? How many of you guys have a favorite pair of jeans your wife didn't let you wear to church today? The reason she didn't let you is because they're wearing out. When the sun's right, you can see right through the... Never mind, let's stop. You know what I'm talking about. Clothes wear out. Stuff wears out. You had, that, you had that old truck that you love, and it just wore out. Things wear out. The planet's going to wear out. In the end, God's going to destroy it by fire. Now remember, uh, in Genesis, God made a promise... Uh, to Noah, and he sealed it with the bow in the sky, the rainbow. And he said, I will never again destroy the earth. Is that the, is that the promise? No. I will never again destroy the earth with water. That's the promise. But we read in the end, First Peter talks about it, that God will destroy the earth with fire. And not just the earth, the heavens too. There'll be new heavens and new earth. They will end they will perish. What's that in contrast to? The contrast is to Jesus, who is greater than the angels because He is the eternal King. Uh, Here, let's make another contrast. You and I are immortal. Did you know that? You and I are immortal. Meaning, we were created in the image of God, and since we're created in the image of God, we will never die. Now, you're your body will die. Just like the planet, your body's going to wear out. Please don't raise your hand again. How many of you, your body's wearing out? You know it. This morning you went to, down to tie your shoes and you almost passed out. And you, you put those pants on you were like, hey, hey, these are shrunk. No, they didn't. Your body's wearing out. And one of the things that God did, because he loves you, he made sure that that physical body would die. What a terrible thing it would be if God trapped us in a sinful, depraved body for eternity. That would be terrible. So he doesn't do that. This body dies But the soul doesn't. The soul's made in the image of God. The soul lives forever. And the soul gets a new body in heaven, a glorified body, because you're immortal. You're made to live forever. Now, you're made in the image of God, made to live forever, so you will live eternity that way. But listen, God not only lives eternity that way, God lived eternity that way. Do you understand? He's from eternity past. This is why Jesus is different than all the others. The angels are created beings. I think the uh, I think the biblical place that talks about their creation is Genesis chapter two verse one. He said, "He made the heavens, or He made the uh, heavens and the earth, and then He says of the heavens and all the host of them." I think that's a reference to the creation of angels. And so we find here something different about Jesus. He's the eternal king. It talks about his kingdom, his throne, his scepter. He's the eternal king. Well, let's kind of read it again as we, as we go through it together. Verse 10. You, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. We just talked about that. But you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed. But you are the same. And of your years, speaking of your years, they will have no end. Now we come to verse 13. One last statement. Why Jesus is greater than angels, and to which of the angels did the Father ever say, "Sit at my right hand"? Now, last week we talked about this phrase because we read it in verse three. Uh, he he finished his work on earth, having made purification for our sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we talked about everything that that means. Uh, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God as a sign of honor. Like like when you go into the courtroom and everybody stands up until the judge sits down first. It's a sign of honor. It's also a sign of authority. Same kind of thing. He has the right to sit down before everyone else. He was the firstborn of many brothers. He also sits down because his work was done. He, he, he said on the cross, it is finished. It's complete. It's, it's done. He sits down because his work is done. And then the scripture says he sits down at the right end of the throne of the Father to make intercession for us. And so it's a powerful statement that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But this verse is different from verse 3. It adds another phrase. To which of the angels did he ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So one picture is the picture of a chair. But this chair has... An ottoman has a footstool, has a place for the feet to go. You ever go in after a long day, and you sit down, and you're like, whew, oh, it feels so good to sit down. And then you look, and there's the ottoman, and so you, oh, oh, you put your feet up too. Or have you ever just gone in and said, i gotta, I got to put my feet up. Maybe uh, some of you have a lazy boy. And By the way, you know that that's just a recliner. You're the lazy boy, right? You go, oh. You put that up because it feels so good. Hey, did you ever do this when you were a kid? Did you ever, were you ever on a hike or something and somebody, saw, I'm so tired, and you got down on your hands and knees and then they sat on your back? Anybody ever do that? That's kind of the picture here. Who's the one who becomes the footstool? Who's the one who puts their feet on them? The king is the one who puts his feet up. The enemies, it says right here, are his footstool. Philippians chapter 2 says there'll be a day on that last day. This is what he says, when every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Now you and I will be there and we'll do what uh, hopefully we've been doing all of our lives. We will bow and confess willingly. I'm like David. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I love meeting you here on Sundays. It is a great part of the week. It encourages my soul. It refreshes me. It fills up my tank. It keeps me going. I, I'm glad where there's a place where we get together and declare, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. I do that openly, willingly. That's my confession. I bow and worship to Him. There will be all of those who, of us who are there, who've done it our lives, and we do it gladly and willingly. But in Philippians chapter 2, it's talking about another group that's there as well. It says, Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Here we're told the enemies will be his footstool. They're, they're going to be there on that day, those who hated, hate Jesus. They hate the causes of Christ. They hate God. They hate the Word of God. They persecuted his saints. They mocked him. They've maybe even put some of uh, his saints to death. They've written articles making fun of the Christian right. They have completely rejected Jesus Christ as king. Listen very carefully. On that day, they will kneel. They will bow. They will confess. And this prophecy becomes true. And I will make your enemies your footstool. You see, the the last point here that this writer is making, Jesus is greater than angels because of his ultimate destiny his ultimate destiny destiny is to be declared king of kings even by his enemies this morning i want to give you a chance to declare him king of kings before that day i want to give you a chance to move yourself from the enemy side of the equation to the child of God, side of the equation. This morning, I want to give you a chance to recognize Jesus Christ is God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way of salvation. And I want to give you a chance to know for certain that heaven is your eternal home and your sins are forgiven. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. If you're here, maybe you were here last week and this week, And you feel the Holy Spirit of God pulling on you and tugging. And you know this is a decision that you should make. Why not today? The Bible literally says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't put it off. Why not today? Maybe you're here and you say, I I, 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 don't think, I, don't think I'm quite ready. Then what I would say to you is, keep coming to Hebrews every week. Every week, the writer of Hebrews is going to take a, another way. It's going to take another tact in showing you Jesus is God. Jesus is God. We're going to study that each and every week. But maybe you're here this morning and you're ready. You don't want to wait another week because you don't know what a day is going to bring forth. You don't know if you'll be back next week. None of us do. And so now you know, I, I want to give my life to Christ. You could pray a prayer right there in the stillness of your own heart as I pray it out loud. Go something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is the only way for the forgiveness of my sins. I now understand that's why he died on the cross for me. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I confess you, Jesus, as King of kings. And the best that I know how from this day forward i'll live for you the bible says that if you prayed that prayer right there with full sincerity and faith in the stillness of your heart that whoever calls on the name of the lord will be saved and in this very moment you move from one side of the equation to the other you move from hell to heaven from death to life and jesus christ is yours maybe you're here this morning you're already a believer But the truth of the matter is you haven't been living like a believer. It's time to get that Bible out. It's time to read it again. It's time to write in it. It's time to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. It's time to maybe give up some stuff that's been moving you towards the the life of the world. This morning, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe God's speaking to you about something I I don't know anything about. Maybe He's calling you to ministry or to missions or, or to service. But if God's spoken to your heart, won't you say yes this morning? Father, you know every heart in this room. You know our journey. You know if this last week was really great or if it was really bad. You walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You're with us on the mountaintop. You are our God, and we trust in you. And we thank you for Hebrews. We thank you for what it means and how we can see and understand that you have provided for us a way of salvation in Jesus. And we choose here this morning to walk with Jesus. We choose to live for Jesus. And we pray that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves by the power of that name. And it's in his name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. So I stopped short a while ago. We talked about the destiny of Christ that his enemies would become his footstools, that he would be the king even of his enemies. But what's the ultimate destiny for angels? Well, the last verse of chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 14 says, Of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Do you you understand the, the final work for angels? Do you know what they're supposed to do? They serve us. We are those who inherit salvation, and so God sends His angels to care for and protect in the world of spiritual warfare. I, I believe every I believe every child has a guardian angel. I believe Psalms teaches that. I believe you have an angel assigned to you, and God puts those angels in place not so that we would along the way start to worship them or spend all our time thinking about angels but because he loves us and cares for us. And so what's the work of angels? The work of angels is to serve the children of Abraham. And that's who we are. Go in peace. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.